This week in KMA Land, Green Plains announces Shenandoah expansion. Page County supervisors voice eminent domain objections. Mills County officials explore revamping Silver Ordinance. Montgomery County Board says no to road Greek classification. Trainers School District has a new superintendent. And Iowa Congresswoman Cindy Axney visits Clarinda. I'm Mike Peterson. Plans for a $50 million expansion of Green Plains Incorporated Shenandoah plant and 12 additional jobs were announced this week. During an earnings conference call for the first quarter of 2022, Green Plains President and CEO Todd Becker announced that the company has picked Shenandoah to be the first site for its clean sugar technology. Patented by Fluid Quip Technologies, which is owned by Green Plains, CST produces low-cost dextrose and fructose through a dry milling technique and provides another product that can be produced by the existing facility. This will benefit the project development to make Shenandoah our first fully developed biorefinery platform of the future, complete with protein and sugar operations at a dry mill. This 30,000 bushel per day grind capacity glucose dextrose system or de- and dextrose system will be uniquely positioned to add significant value and demonstrate the possibilities for future development of this initiative. Last month, the Iowa Economic Development Authority announced that the project was awarded a $250,000 forgivable loan. Additionally, IEDA has agreed to give a rebate on sales tax for construction of the building, and the Shenandoah Chamber and Industry Association is donating 25 acres of land for the expansion. Despite the incentives, Becker says it was the staff at the Shenandoah location that made it a prime location for the first clean sugar expansion. Shenandoah is a really special place, obviously one of our best and most profitable plants as a standalone plant. The first place that we had high protein and performing very well, it performs uh, at rate uh, every, every, almost every operating day, and we see yields and proteins uh, uh, un, under our control now in terms of pressing higher, higher yields and managing our protein levels. So we've had a lot of learnings there. So we have a great uh, operating staff that is really ready for new technologies now. Ski Executive Vice President Greg Cottle says the announcement is a positive one for the city and could lead to more projects associated with clean sugar technology. You know, we've got a great staff out here. The city's always been very supportive of Green Plains. And, and you know, this project will be about a $50 million construction project. Uh, there'll be 12 jobs with it. We're obviously excited about that, but we're also very excited about the potential for downstream partners that would uh, locate in Shenandoah and use products uh, from the clean sugar technology for additional products. The expansion is just the latest addition to the facility since it first went online in 2007. In addition to producing ethanol, the facility produces a high-protein product that can be used in fish and other animal feed. Connell says the growth and diversification by Green Plains shows the company's commitment to its Shenandoah location. We have a high-protein project out here, we have an aquaculture project out here, and now we have clean sugar. So... We're excited uh, that uh, you know Green Plains continues to grow. It's just amazing, you know, the, the, the diversification that Green Plains has uh, with uh, their company, and uh, you know we're looking forward to other projects in the future. Plans currently call for the company to break ground of the expansion in late summer or early fall, with the goal of being operational by the middle part of next year. Page County officials this week joined the list of other area officials objecting to the use of eminent domain in carbon pipeline projects. During its regular meeting Tuesday night, the Page County Board of Supervisors approved a letter addressed to the Iowa Utilities Board stating their opposition to the use of eminent domain for Summit Carbon Solutions Midwest Express CO2 pipeline. 
The proposed project includes just under 700 miles of pipeline, which would cut through the eastern portion of Page County to Green Plains Shenandoah LLC. Page County Supervisors Chair Alan Armstrong tells KMA News that the board's primary concern comes down to fair compensation for landowners. To respect landowners and not just take and destroy land for the use of this carbon capture um, pipeline without working with the farmers and the landowners to give them a fair price, negotiate with them, and work out lease agreements where it's fair for everybody involved. Page County joins other surrounding KMA land governments, including Fremont Mills and Montgomery counties, in stating their opposition. However, being a realist, Armstrong says he's not sure about the impact the letters could have on the board's decision. But it can't hurt, and at least we'll make some of the other political leaders in our state be aware that we are paying attention to things. Whether the utilities board is going to respect our thoughts, it's going to be interesting to see how things play out, but at least we've made due diligence in trying to stop this and, and create a, a better pattern of things in the future. The letter states the pipeline is being done by a for-profit private company and further requests the permit application be denied if the pipeline company cannot get the necessary landowners to agree to the voluntary easements. However, Armstrong says the board did not decide without weighing the pros and cons of the carbon sequestration pipeline. Because we could see the potential of the ethanol plant, especially in Shenandoah, having a benefit from that if they could start selling more fuel to the east and west coast. The problem still is government's control on taking land and allowing that without thinking out the process of the farmers' rights. And there's a lot of farmers that have contacted and are very concerned about that. The Iowa House passed an amendment placing a one-year moratorium on carbon pipeline applications in March. However, the Senate has yet to take action. But as with most arguments, Armstrong says there are two sides to the story. The problem is they're getting a lot of pull from the other side, too. We, for every comment of, let's stop this, uh, by email or phone call or whatever, we get an equal number of saying, hey, go ahead and do this. This will save the world. Real Utilities Board officials aren't expected to rule on the application until next spring at the earliest. Page County officials suffered another setback this week in the bid lending for the county annex building's renovation. Meeting in regular session Tuesday morning, the Page County Board of Supervisors unanimously rejected the only bid on a proposed lift and bathroom ADA compliance project at the county's annex building. The board received a loan bid from Grant Contracting LLC out of Red Oak, for around $223,000. However, Supervisor Jacob Holmes says the proposal comes in nearly $80,000 higher than the engineer's estimate. Light demolition is $17,000. Interior partitions, $18,150. Added structure for lift, $58,500. Interior finishes, $18,300. Lift and equipment, $56,000. Mechanical, electrical, and plumbing, $55,200. The total is $223,150. The loan bid comes in the second round of bid letting after the board received none before the first bid deadline in March. The engineer's estimate made in December was roughly $145,000, including a 10% contingency for cost changes. Supervisors Chair Alan Armstrong says the primary culprit for the increase was costs associated with the structure for the lift, including all concrete, base, and steel work. The added structure for lift went up 52000 
went up 52,000. Yeah, the added structure for lift on this was six, and they estimated it, their bid is at 58.5. Additionally, Armstrong says the lift price itself was estimated at just under $16,000 higher. The board intends to use American Rescue Plan Act funds to cover the cost, but Armstrong says the estimate would knock out most of the allotted $250,000 for annex repairs. Efforts to revamp Mills County Solar Energy Ordinance continued this week. Beating a regular session Tuesday evening, the Mills County Planning and Zoning Commission held a discussion over proposed changes and updates to the county's ordinance governing commercial solar installations. Zoning technician Holly Jackson told the board that the county has placed a moratorium on solar projects to allow the commission more time to update the ordinance. Since we are going through it, I have received requests from um, a few solar companies that are interested in possibly pulling permits. So I did go to the Board of Supervisors and discuss that with them. And at this time, we do have a moratorium on any commercial solar fields coming in. And we have that moratorium set through September so that we have a chance as a Planning and Zoning Commission to revise these, go through it, and seek out the information that we need. Jackson says many of the inquiries right now are for dual-purpose solar farms, which would allow grazing for sheep under the panels. She says allowing dual-purpose farms would require a change to the ordinance or the possibility of a variance granted by the Zoning Board of Adjustment. Right now, our ordinance states that the 15 feet is the maximum height for solar. Dual-purpose solar would be a much higher amount. I think that you need to look into that after we're doing the research, decide if we want dual purpose or not. During the discussion, the commission talked with officials from Mid-American Energy to gather input on what they have seen done in other areas. Kyle Speketer is an engineer with Mid-American and is a project manager for a solar installation in Webster County. Speketer says the projects he's worked with are all single-axis solar with pollinator fields underneath. He says the height of the panels is something the company keeps a close eye on. We've got a very large uh, flat plane collector surface. Uh, modules are you know, roughly two square meters. You, you have something like that sticking up in the air, it can, it can catch a, quite a bit of force from the wind. Something that, that I'm familiar with is just that, you know, being mindful of, of these things because wind force can increase exponentially as you, as you go further above the ground. Other concerns raised by commission members included protections to fight against erosion, disposal of waste from the site, decommissioning and fencing requirements, as well as compliance with Federal Aviation Administration standards for glare due to the county's close proximity to Offutt Air Force Base. The commission took no action on any changes to the ordinance. Montgomery County officials this week said no to a rural roads reclassification. By a three-to-one vote Tuesday morning, the county's Board of Supervisors rejected a request to turn a stretch up 230th Street west of V Avenue in East Township into a C-level road. Under reclassification, the road would be closed and not maintained. Board members took action following a public hearing prompted by a petition from residents calling for the closure. Residents, both for and against the reclassification, aired comments and concerns. John Clark was among those speaking in favor of closing the road, citing issues with Bud and the speed at which vehicles travel. There's three or four poppy hills out there. Every one of those hills has a driveway access. And the way some of those people drive is ridiculous. It's 
just crazy sometimes. Kyle Yates joined other speakers against the proposal. Yates questioned whether roads in similar condition in the county would be closed. He says the proposal was a drumbeat by a private landowner who wants a private driveway. There's no reason to close it. There really isn't. I mean, people are going to do stupid things. They're going to do stupid things all over the Dane County, all over the, the country. So the vast majority of people are smart enough not to go down that road when they know when you can and when you can't. In other business, the supervisors approved allocating $15,000 to the Montgomery County Recreational Trails for a study of a proposed trail project across the county. Trainers School District has its next superintendent. On Wednesday, the district announced Dr. Joel Bienhoff was selected following interviews with three finalists Monday. A veteran Southwest Iowa educator, Bienhoff has served as high school principal at Lewis Central since 2012. He previously was a middle school principal in the Council Bluffs Community School District, as well as an assistant principal and activities director and math teacher. It's a great honor to have this opportunity to lead such a rich and historic district that has had such excellence in academics, activities, and facilities. This excitement that I have for this new position is also shared by my wife, Marcy, and our four children. Bienhoff holds a doctorate degree in educational administration from the University of Nebraska-Omaha. He also has a master's degree in curriculum and instruction from Doan University and master's degree in educational administration and supervision from UNO. Bienhoff says trainers' history of excelling in a number of areas made the district enticing. I feel very blessed to be asked to join the trainer school district and family, not only were excellence is expected, but excellence is achieved. And this is very visible in the district's academics, activities, facilities, but most importantly, in every person that I've interacted with over the interview process and my research in the district speak volumes about the culture and climate of the district and makes me so excited to join the family. Trainers School Board worked with Grunmeyer Leader Services to fill the position, which was vacated when Dr. Mark Hopkins resigned to become a professor at the University of Iowa. Bienhoff's tenure begins July 1st. Iowa Congresswoman Cindy Axney focused on rural issues in a swing through southwest Iowa this week. During a town hall meeting at the Clorinda Carnegie Art Museum late Wednesday afternoon, Axney outlined her rural prosperity agenda, a series of measures she's written or co-sponsored addressing various rural issues. Included among the 11 bills is the Rural Prosperity Act. Axney told KMA News the bill would establish the Office of Rural Prosperity, a permanent office in the White House tasked with coordinating federal efforts to support and connect rural communities to federal programs and resources. What all this does is raise up the voices of people in rural America and the issues that we're facing um, in one package and then in, in the best of all worlds actually create an office that will push this agenda forward that will be in the White House and will always be there for rural America. Another key component of Axney's agenda is the Invest to Protect Act. The West Des Moines Democrat says the bill provides for federal resources to rural and suburban police departments to help with training, staffing retention, recruitment, and operations. Currently, she says small police departments are dealing with officer shortages. First and foremost, we're having a hard time retaining uh, police officers. We're having a hard time hiring police officers. Many are moving to other larger cities because they can get paid more. There's issues with needing equipment. So this bill actually puts a pot of money 
aside that only units 200 and under can go after. One of the biggest ag-related measures includes the Cattle Price Discovery and Transparency Act. Co-sponsored by Iowa Congressman Randy Feenstra, Axne says the bill aims to return fairness to the cattle marketplace dominated by four major meat packers. What this bill does is level the playing field, provides transparency around pricing so that if you're trading in the cash market, you still get the same pricing that you would get in you know, a contracted market. It also requires that a particular amount of purchases uh, have to be made in the cash market and then delivered within uh, you know, a few weeks period of time so that we can ensure that our, really our producers have access to markets that they didn't have before. Other measures address first responder and rural housing issues, capital for rural job creators, extending telehealth services, renewable fuel infrastructure incentives, and extending the $1 biodiesel tax credit. Axne also stopped in Perry, Atlantic, Griswold, and Stanton. Discussion over planter boxes caught the Red Oak City Council's attention Monday night. During its regular meeting, the Red Oak City Council unanimously approved a request from the Red Oak Arts Destination, or Road Group, to paint eight concrete planter boxes on the corners of the downtown square. Phil Lamb, a member of the road group, says his group hopes to paint only the exterior of the platters, which are currently gray, and plans to use methods to ensure the paint remains for an extended time. We have murals in Red Oak that are 12 years old or more that you can't even tell that they're anywhere close to that age. With the technology that's changing paints, that should go on and on. We would use a concrete, concrete primer that would be a barrier from any excess water from the inside of the planter boxes that would try to weep out, which is normal with concrete. Additionally, Lamps' Road is not asking for any money from the council and would handle the paint purchases and any future upkeep to the painted portions of the planters. Lamps says a survey of the businesses on the square gave a resounding yes to the painting, which will be done by local painters. 15 of 15 gave us a yes of the businesses on the square who would like this to happen. So I should say small business owners and building owners not just the people who work there, but also the people that own buildings down there. Lamb adds the benches surrounding the planters would not need to be removed to perform the job, and the paintings could be redone in the future if needed. However, City Historic Commission President Dave McFarland raised concerns about how the project would interact with the city's efforts to preserve the history of downtown Red Oak. He says this could be something that needs to be run by the commission first. The city of Red Oak kind of entered into a grant agreement and uh, ideal with the revitalizing the downtown was a historic thing. Isn't this kind of going against that a little bit? I noticed in the, the notes, the agendas and stuff that I was sent, that there was some question about, you know, who was the authority on this and stuff and i think typically in most communities you'll find your historic commission are the ones that approve or disapprove these sort of things however lamb noted the proposed painting area shouldn't affect anything historically significant as far as i'm you know this is concerned uh, the gray concrete is not historically designed mm -hmm. this is a new updated design 
the tan bricks that are beside that are not historic to the Red Oak area. Red Oak Mayor Shauna Silvius also suggested Lamb run the plans by the Red Oak Chamber and Industry Association's Marketing and Tourism Committee. Two Mills County Sheriff's deputies recently went above and beyond the call of duty. The Sheriff's Office honored deputies Zach Buttercase and Alex Kilpack Tuesday with life-saving awards for their actions in saving the lives of two individuals. The honor came after events in March when the pair of deputies assisted an individual who is at risk of drowning and following a 911 call for a welfare check on an elderly individual. Buttercase tells KMA News he's honored by the recognition. I didn't have any idea that it was even coming. After the incident, Deputy Kilpack was on FTO with me at the time, and due to his actions and the way he handled everything, I felt he was very deserving of the award. So I put in a request to my supervisors, and obviously our supervisors were more than happy to put that in for him and included me into him as well. On March 6th, Buttercase says dispatch had received a pair of 911 hang-up calls and sent Kilpack and himself to where the calls were pinging. Upon arrival, Buttercase says Kilpack located the individual lying on the bank of a pond. We called for a rescue squad and Deputy Kilpack and myself ran down to the bank and commandeered a couple of canoes to get to the other side because the the train was impassable for our patrol cars. And we were able to get to the other side and drag the patient to the canoe and paddle back across the pond to get him to the, the rescue units where he was life lighted. The following day, Buttercase's a call came in regarding an elderly male who had not communicated with his respective contacts for an extended period. After assisting him and seeing through an elevated window, Buttercase's Kilpack thought he could hear someone inside the building, prompting them to make the executive decision of forced entry. Buttercase commended the actions of Kilpack for the care provided following the location of the individual. Making sure that the patient was comfortable until EMS personnel were able to arrive, uh, really giving the, the patient a, a sense of encouragement, knowing that EMS was on the way and just the demeanor of the patient went from immediately scared because he didn't know if anybody was ever going to find him to a sense of relief. While he was honored to be recognized, Buttercases was just another day on the job in which their primary objective is to save lives. We chose this career because we have a very strong passion to help people and help the public and so it just makes us feel good when we're able to do that and see a sense of relief and the amount of courage that it took for Deputy Kilpack to make decisions on an FTO and everything is just great. Buttercase is the actions of Kilpack, who was still an FTO at the time, helped him excel through the training program to his current status as deputy. You've heard of the Omaha Storm Chasers? Well, how about the Montgomery County Storm Chasers? No, they're not a baseball team. They're actual storm chasers who recently captured footage of intense weather in Iowa. Adam Wainwright and Bruce Gruber of Chase Team BA recorded footage of the tornado that hit Pocahontas County in April. The tornado ranked as an EF2, causing considerable damage and measuring wind speeds up to 125 miles per hour. The CTBA duo joined the KMA Morning Show Tuesday to detail their experience. Gruber says that everything came together for the perfect storm. It was pretty surreal to see it just kind of form from nothing to something in just seconds. Luckily, it stayed in mostly rural area, um, no fatalities. But it was kind of a picture-perfect, like, twister moment, I guess. You know, storm chasers, we 
kind of live for that kind of tornado where it's not uh, hurting anybody um, and it's really photogenic and that was just a, probably one of the most perfect tornadoes I've seen. Wayne Wright and Gruber started their hunt by monitoring their tracking equipment, examining storm speeds and following atmospheric conditions. Wayne Wright says that finding the storm took a bit of preparation and a little bit of luck. We kind of liked it to look at everything, not just, you know, chasing the chasers or chasing the forecast. It is interesting because you dedicate yourself to a storm and and you stick with it. Wayne Wright and Gruber formed CTBA around 2013 and started by chasing severe weather locally. Wayne Wright, an EMT paramedic, first became interested in severe weather at a young age after his grandparents' house was hit by a tornado in 1979. As for Gruber, he says that he's always had a love for weather and storm chasing. Well, there may be an element of an adrenaline rush. They say her, the main goal is to use information they collect to educate. We do it for a hobby, but we also do it for some education, too, because still no one knows exactly how a storm works, how it's going to function. In this recent storm, this Friday down in Andover and everything, some things happened that that meteorologists say doesn't normally happen. So these things are changing. So I think, you know, we can put our little piece in there enjoy you know a little bit of time doing it you can follow along with their exploits on facebook or the youtube at chase team ba that wraps up this week in kma land be listening each week at this time for this week in kma land and for more information all the time log on to kmaland.com where you can also hear this program in its entirety For the entire KMA News team, this is Mike Peterson. Thanks for joining us. Have a great weekend. This has been a presentation of KMA News.